please take your Bibles and go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, you need a Bible. There's a Bible in the chair in front of you, a black Bible. And if you go towards the back of that Bible, <coughs> they renumber the New Testament. So flip towards the back and find page 76 for John chapter 6, page 76 in that black Bible. John chapter 6, we're going to study verses 22 through 34 this morning, 22 to 34. I've, um, when I first preached this, I, I think I did John chapter 6, 22 through 71 in two messages. I think I'm doing it in like four or five. So I'm slowing down my old age. That's a joke. Are you saying amen that I'm old? Are you saying, oh, never mind. <clears throat> so John 6, 22 through 34. I'm gonna read, mixing a little bit with Greek and New American Standard as I'm reading, so that's why it might sound off a little bit different from New American Standard. Um, so, uh, math, uh, verse 22 of John chapter 6. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but his disciples had left alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. Therefore, when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to the Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the bread and were fully filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For the Father, God, had sealed this one. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom this one has sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign then do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Therefore Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread out of heaven, but my Father is giving you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is He, the one who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Therefore they said to him, Sir, always give to us this bread. One time I heard a comedian who brought up how we can get so fascinated with bread when we go to eat out at a restaurant. And yet we have bread at home. There's something about bread at a restaurant. It's better, right? And I, I think it is almost. It's, they prepare it better. It, it is different. 
Like Olive Garden bread. Oh, Chris and I, we used to go to, like, back in the day, go to Olive Garden, and we'd just get the, the, the bread and the salad. Oh, wasn't that wonderful? Oh, yes. Oh, you get the bread at Nick's? Well, we know what Ward likes, don't we? With the little olive oil and the, the garlic in there. I, I can't eat that. The bruschetta bread with the marinara dip and the cheese. Ah, see, what, what time is lunch now? Now you're all hungry, right? Let's close in prayer. <laughs> and now we come to this large section in John's gospel. I mean, if you're hungry for bread, there's another chapter you want to go through. It's all about bread. Focus on food. But rightly so, because Jesus will say he's the true bread from heaven. He's going to take that theme where you get the other I am statement, I am the bread of life. Today, uh, cutting up this section from verses 22 to 34 of chapter 6, as as we come to um, John's gospel, come receive Jesus, believe, know him, these verses we're going to see, he says, come work for the true enduring food. Come work for the true enduring food. The food that's true. The food that endures. Work for that. Come work for the true enduring food. And there goes Aaron. What are you going to do when you leave? What are we going to do? We'll call you and fly out. Come work for, true, for the true enduring food, which is trusting Jesus, who is the bread from heaven, and who gives us life. He will satisfy our true need, which is true spiritual life. Come work for the true enduring food, which is trusting Jesus. What's the work? You trust Jesus. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. Jesus is the one who gives life. He satisfies our true need, which is true spiritual life. And so we begin our in-depth journey into this chapter, and, and it's going to challenge our trust in Jesus. It will deepen your trust. It will strengthen your trust. For some of you, it might begin trust in Jesus challenge our trust in Jesus to have him as a continual object of worship. How are we doing? Oh, there's this. For Jesus to be the continual object of our worship. I'll read this statement which is up there on the screen again. Come work for the true, thank you guys. Come work for the true enduring food which is trusting Jesus who is the true bread from heaven and who gives life. He will satisfy our true need, which is true spiritual life. And he'll take the physical aspect and turn it towards this is what we really need. As you need food to sustain life, you need Jesus. And not just initially. Because faith is not just an act of faith, it's a life of faith, of trusting always in Christ Jesus. Who is our continual object of worship? Is Jesus our true object of worship, our sole focus, the one who fulfills us being our true need? 
not for our own selfish ends. Have we assimilated him into our lives and are we continually assimilating him into our lives? Our lives are founded and must be focused upon the Lord Jesus who is the true life-giving, satisfying bread. So Jesus is our true need, yet we're so obsessed with ourselves and concerned with Christ only when it benefits us. And you're gonna see this as the challenge. Because the crowd were willing to sign up to be Jesus' disciples as long as he's gonna give them, give them what they want. You, Jesus, give us what we want. Then we're in. That's how the world thinks of Jesus. And that infiltrates into the church. As long as things are good, fine, and well in my life, good, well, and fine in the church, good, well, and fine in whatever, then I'm good with it. But when things start going haywire in my life, well, then that's, no. We become self-focused. But as our stomachs crave for food, we must crave for the true food for our souls, Jesus. We'll find out later, but I'll tell you this now, as you'll see in verse 66 of this chapter, the dialogue, it takes place in the synagogue of Jesus' hometown, Capernaum. And the dialogue, it revolved around the food that their stomachs crave and the true food that's needed for their lives, which the crowd didn't get. Jesus is the source of life and the substance of life itself. He declared himself to be the true bread from heaven, the true bread that came down out of heaven who gives life. And, and he'll say later, to believe in him is like eating his flesh and drinking his blood. It's assimilating him. When you eat food, you assimilate that into your body and it gives you energy for you to be able to do things else you will die. And that's the same concept. Believing Jesus is taking him and assimilating him into your life. He gives you life. He's God's gift to satisfies anyone who assimilates him. So Jesus will unveil even more of his identity. So will they embrace him as he truly is or will they reject him? And by the way, too, only those who've been granted by the Father to embrace Jesus will embrace Jesus. He'll bring that up too. And not next week, the week after. So I'm going to put, uh, pose to you, present to you uh, kind of contrasting statements because it presents the dialogue between what the crowd says and then what Jesus says, how the crowd thinks and how Jesus truly is thinking and what truly is reality. So notice how it begins, working for perishing food. This is how the crowd thinks. This is their mentality. They work for perishing food. Starting in verse 22, 22 through 25, it, John sets up the historical dialogue between Jesus and this crowd. They were looking and seeking for Jesus. 
their intentions weren't exactly appropriate. So they came by foot looking for Jesus, not finding him. They had entered into boats, went to the other side, pursued Jesus. We'll see that they pursued and saw Jesus because of what they thought he represented, not because of what he truly was or is, what he truly represented and what he truly gave. It was only about their own self-interest. Came to the other side of the sea. They found him. Notice verse 25. Rabbi, when did you come here? Rabbi means teacher. They didn't truly mean it. It did not define their true intention to be his disciples, no. Hunger motivated them, not humility. The other H word. Not humility, it was hunger. He was a teacher and yet they would dispute his teaching. And you'll find out later, they would grumble. Rabbi, when did you come here? Notice what Jesus says. He answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, okay, there's the truly, truly. So it's like, pay attention. Here's an authoritative statement. Here's a significant statement I'm about to make, says Jesus. You seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate bread and were fully filled, fully satisfied. He, one writer put it like this, called their bluff by revealing their true motives. They sought him to have their bellies filled, to have happy tummies, mmm, to satisfy their selfish desires and passions, as one writer put. See, they wanted a king who would fill their bellies, not save from sin. They failed to see the significance of the sign. By God's grace, the sign pointed to Jesus alone. That's why he says, you seek me now because you saw the signs. They point to him, him. They point to who he is, the Messiah, the king, the true king of the Old Testament promise. Uh, only the Father could open the eyes of the blind to see Jesus for who he is, the true significance of these signs, his true identity. And notice, Jesus revealed what their true intentions were. Remember John chapter 2, verse 24 to 25? Jesus knew what's in the hearts of people because he's God. He knew what they truly wanted and what they were truly seeking. You guys just wanted happy tummies. So they signed up to be his disciples. He's going to give us bread? Awesome. We'll be his disciples. Verse 27, the first part. Do not work for the food which perishes. They were working for perishing food. This bread is only temporary. It's brief. He challenged them. Don't work for perishing food. Instead, notice the contrasting statement, work for enduring food. Don't work for perishing food, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which is lasting. 
Notice the contrast, temporary versus eternal. They had materialistic ideas about the kingdom. Jesus says it's not about this. The contrast was between the Jesus they wanted and the true Jesus, or as he'll call himself in a moment, Son of Man, sent by the Father. He's rebuking them. He's rebuking the God of their tummies. And he says here, which the Son of Man. And he says that word Son of Man to reveal his identity, his authority. And if they were keen, they were paying attention, thinking about the Old Testament, they would realize he's actually calling himself Messiah. Seek food that really matters. Work for that food. Which the Son of Man gives. Now, what does he give? Does he give eternal life or does he give the food? It's unclear. I think he meant food because he's going to talk about himself. He's going to say that later. How is he able to do this? How is he able to give this? How does he have the authority to do this? Notice he says, which the Son of Man shall give to you. He has that authority because the Father attested to His Son. And notice how He attested His Son. Jesus says, For the Father, God, has sealed this one. That's how it is from the Greek. The Father, God, has sealed this one. The Father gave authority to the Son who's endowed with the very authority of the Father and directly connected to the Father. He's marked with the seal of ownership by the Father who alone authorized Jesus to bestow this food, to bestow himself. So the Father attested to his Son. So work for perishing food versus, no, work for the enduring food. Now notice what the crowd does. Therefore they said to him, verse 28, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? They weren't getting it. Notice here you see self-work trusts self. Now they're thinking about themselves. They're still thinking physically. They're still thinking selfishly. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do? The, The works of God focuses on their efforts, their own self-efforts. He just told them who he was. He just told them what he does. He just told them. But they can only think about themselves and what they could do. Tell us what God requires and we'll do it. You guys are clueless. They were merely thinking about trying to earn merit they were concerned about their self-work which only trusts in self. Friends, this is not from God. To trust in yourself. Your effort. Your work. Self-work trusts self. There's 
One contrast here. And then notice what Jesus does. He, he paints the contrast to their thinking, which is what? God work trusts Jesus. The work of, notice it's work, it's singular, work of God trusts Jesus. Notice what Jesus says, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom this one has sent. Notice what Jesus does purposefully. He changed the verb. They said works of God. He says this is the singular work of God. And that work is to believe into the one whom the Father has sent. And it's just not a mere act of faith. It's a life of trust. Our sole work is faith in the Son who sent from the Father, as one writer put it. It's trust with Jesus as the object of our faith, with Jesus as the object of our trust. We trust in the person and work of Jesus, for it's through faith we possess the Son. It's through faith we become God's children. It's through faith we're ruled by His Spirit. And Jesus is the object. Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the center. But they could not properly obey this command because they were totally consumed with themselves. Focusing upon what they wanted and it comes out again in the next couple verses. Look what happens, starting in verse 30. Therefore they said to him, what sign then do you do? You got to be joking. I title this, this aspect on them, manna satisfied selfish need. And it also, it's not just verse 30, 31, but also verse 34, we'll get to that in a moment. Manna, manna satisfied their selfish need. Now they're challenging Jesus. Oh yeah? Okay, Jesus, yeah. What about you? They emphatically demanded he do a sign to confirm what he just said about himself. Give us an attesting, uh, validating sign of your words. And it better be good. There's a joke in my family. When it, it's someone's birthday and you get a gift and you open the gift, about, about to... Right when you're about to open the gift, you go, this better be good. It's sarcasm. It's supposed to be funny. Okay, you don't think it's funny. We think it's funny. I think it's funny. My kids think it's funny. It better be good. So you open the, oh, it's good. Okay, that's good. This is what they're doing to Jesus. You're going to do a sign, and it better be good. Because look at what they say in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, in the desert. As it is written, oh, now they throw scripture at Jesus. Oh, let's throw you a Bible verse, Jesus. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Mm -hmm. They challenge, they're, they're, excuse me, their challenge, look back to the Old Testament with Moses. So they're saying this, okay, look, if, if God showed his activity with Moses, by him, Moses, providing the people with manna, <clears throat> Jesus, you must do the same. 
No, no, no. As a matter of fact, if you're the prophet, oh, your sign should be greater than Moses. And their quote here, taken from Exodus 16, coupled with Psalm 78, if you read that psalm, it, it's not a very happy psalm. You, you, you see, the people are very sinful and stubborn. And the psalm talks about that. Their quote focused upon the fact that the bread was out of heaven. So the whole feat of 5,000 or the thousand of people that just have a nah, that doesn't cut it, Jesus. The bread should fall from the sky, buddy. Olive, olive garden bread should be falling from the sky. The bread from Nick should be falling from the sky with the little things of olive oil coming down to you. It better be good. And, and I say, notice I call it man is satisfied, selfish need. I say selfish need because of what happened in Exodus 16. Yahweh gave them manna because they were grumbling at him and grumbling at Moses and Aaron. Oh, you brought us out here to just die. Oh, I remember the meat in Egypt, and I remember the bread. You just brought us, you brought us out here to die, you jerk Moses. They grumbled at the Lord. They grumbled at Moses and Aaron. Some things never change. Because guess what they're going to do in a few verses from now with Jesus? They're going to grumble at him. They're going to do the very same thing. It's all about themselves. It's all about their own selfish need. Notice how the dialogue is going to shift to focusing upon God's miraculous provision of the manna and the significance of that provision. And Jesus is going to take their example and he's going to show them that the manna exemplified him. The manna was a type of Christ. He's going to point that out to them. Manna is the type. Jesus is the antitype to the manna. The manna in the wilderness depicted him and our true need. And notice, so this uh, idea, back to that, manna satisfied selfish need. True bread satisfies true need. There's the contrast. True bread satisfies true need. Verse 32. Therefore Jesus said to them, truly, truly, there it is. Pay attention. Here's an authoritative statement. Here's a significant statement I'm about to make. Moses didn't give you the bread out of heaven. Jesus countered their challenge by correcting their lack of biblical understanding, an understanding that was self-focused, an understanding that was about their own self-interest. No, no, no. Not Moses. My father. Now, Now, not only did they give God kind of like a secondary back seat to the whole manna thing? He kicked them back there. But they missed 
the whole type anti-type to the imagery that the man reveals to us. And, and notice in Jesus' challenging statement how he says, my father, he proclaimed his unique, intimate relationship with the father. Right off the bat, this eternal relationship that he's had with the father. My father. And, and notice what Jesus does with the verbs. Moses did not give past tense my father is giving, present tense. You see that? He shifted the tense of the verb. Moses was not the one who gave to you. My father, he gives to you presently. My father is giving you at this very moment the true bread out of heaven. It's me for crying out loud. Jesus is so patient, isn't he? He shifted the tense of the verb to rebuke them for their wrong understanding, but also he declared his very identity. And now look at the basis. Here's the basis. Here it is, verse 33. For, there's the basis, for, and from Greek, the bread of God is he, the one who comes down out of heaven. I am the revealer of the Father. I'm the full self-expression of the Father. I have a unique, intimate relationship with the Father. So, the bread of God is He, the one who came down from heaven and gives life to the world. Notice, He personalized bread, declaring that He is that true bread. Like the manna in the desert, this bread has come down from heaven. What does that mean? He's talking about the incarnation. Manna sustained life. It sustained the life of the nation of Israel in the desert. So does this bread who gives life. This bread gives true, eternal Real life, not temporary, fleeting, short-lived life like the man in the desert. And, and, and notice too, for the bread of God is he, the one who comes down out of heaven and gives life, not just to Jews, not just to the nation of Israel, to the world. He gives life to the world. He provides and he is the very is, the bread. So, Jesus is saying, my father is the true provider. He's the true provider. I, I am the true bread. Life itself, not simply satisfying physical hunger, is our true need and our true provision and I alone give that satisfying life. How does one eat this bread? You must believe in Jesus. So come. Repent and trust in Christ. God is a holy God and just in all he does. We should be condemned by him and yet Jesus came down out of heaven, took on flesh, died in the place of sinners and rose from the dead. Repent and trust Christ and you'll be saved. He'll forgive you of all your sins.
There's the gospel. Come. Work for that food. So he says this. And then that's where we come to verse 34, which I have in parentheses because it's repeating. Man, I satisfy selfish need. Because look at verse 34. Therefore they said to him, Sir, always give to us this bread. They didn't understand the eternal things. And with a cloaked politeness, some translations have Lord, it should be Sir. A cloaked politeness, they sarcastically asked Jesus to always give them this bread. Oh, always give us this bread. Much like the Samaritan woman. You remember that? The Samaritan woman, when, she, when Jesus said, I'm going to give you this, this living water, she said, give me this water. So I won't have to be coming out here all the time, draw water. It was like sarcasm. Okay, pal, you say you give this bread, let us have it. it they're challenging Jesus again. And then Jesus is going to come into, I am the bread of life, verse 35. We'll start that up next week. So recapping, Jesus is our true need. Yet we're so obsessed with ourselves and concerned with Christ only when it benefits us. There's the challenge to us. Are we trusting Jesus and Him being our true need even when it doesn't feel like that? Are we concerned with Christ only when it benefits us? There's the challenge. As our stomachs crave for food, we must crave the true food for our souls. Have we assimilated Him into our lives? And are we continually assimilating Him into our lives? Our lives should be founded and, and, and focus upon the Lord Jesus, the true, life-giving, satisfying bread. So come, come. Work for the true enduring food which is trusting Jesus who is the true bread from heaven and who gives us life. He will satisfy our true need which is true spiritual life. Let's ask the Lord to do that in our hearts. Let's pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, we pray Help us to seek you for who you are. And we confess the times. You know those times. When we're only seeking you, when it's going to benefit us, when we want something. Thank you, Jesus, you died for that. So we confess that to you and we repent. And so we come with our hands down, arms are open wide to you saying, you have us, we give you our heart. We give to our very soul, you have us all, every part of us. Jesus keeps satisfying us. Let's not become distracted or entangled with things that take us away from you being our focus and you being our joy.
and you being the one to satisfy us. Keep us from that as your church, as your people. And yet, thank you once again. We fall short and yet you died for that. So help us with our unbelief. We can have such weak faith. So if you would, please take these next few moments. We do that each week. Time of silence. Where you can fill your mind with the truth that we've seen this morning. Ponder. Let it take root in your heart. And you know, we'll sing a couple songs, we'll pray. Take this time between you and the Lord as the first way to respond to the truth between you and the Lord. Then you can respond by singing to him and we'll respond by a corporate prayer. Respond now individually between you and the Lord. It's like a minute, minute and a half. Take this time. Let it be meaningful. That the word will Plant deep within your soul. Will you do that now, please?